Hey everybody, there's that familiar sound, that familiar beat, and there's also that familiar smell in the air this time of the year. The leaves are falling, you have that fall smell in the air, and ah, the smell of basketball. College hoops is back, everybody, and so am I. I'm Brian DeNovellis. This is the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast, ready for season two, episode 11. It starts now. Coming up, it's our Big East preview, focusing on three teams in the Tri-State. We're talking UConn, Seton Hall, St. John's, and joining me a bit later in the podcast will be J.P. Pelsman. He covers Seton Hall basketball for Rivals.com, and prior to that, he was the longtime Seton Hall beat reporter at the record in Bergen County. So there's a lot to get to. Let's begin with the preseason coaches poll in the Big East. Who's at the top? Surprise, surprise. Who else? Villanova pick number one. Look, it's Villanova and everybody else. This team is loaded once again. Just when you thought, Big East college basketball fans, just when you thought, you had seen the last of Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels. They are back for their bonus year of eligibility. Throw in Justin Moore, top 25 recruiting class, ho-hum. Villanova is still the team to beat. It's, it's almost like Larry Bird once said, right? When he walked into the locker room at the NBA's three-point shooting contest, who's playing for second in here, right? They're loaded. And Jay Wright even, when Jay Wright says it might be his deepest team ever, you know this team is deep. And he only goes seven or eight deep. That's all he needs to win a national championship. But look, if there's one team that's going to challenge them in the Big East, right? You know the names. It's UConn. It's Xavier. It's Seton Hall. It's St. John's. It's Butler. Maybe it's Providence, right? Those are the likely challengers in the Big East. If I had to put my money on which team can come the closest or maybe possibly unseat Villanova at the top, it's UConn. That's where I'm starting. I know they lost the lottery pick in James Booknight. Everybody else is back. RJ Cole, Isaiah Whaley, the Big East co-defensive player of the year, Tyler Polly, Adama Sonogo. If you've listened to me on this podcast, you know I love this guy. I'm still hurting as a Seton Hall fan that he chose UConn over Seton Hall. Right now, he's okay. He's not the best post player in the Big East. That goes to Providence's Nate Watson. But in my opinion, he is the second best big man in the Big East post player. He can do it all. Block shots, rebound, alter shots, score in the paint. By the end of the year, Sonogo may be better than Nate Watson. And that's saying something because Nate Watson is a first team all Big East player, period. Who else do they, I mean, do you want me to keep going with UConn? Andre Jackson. We didn't even see him much last year because he was overcoming an injury and we only saw glimpses of what he can do. A cook, a cook. Remember him? He wasn't playing last year due to a torn Achilles. We can go on and on. This team is deep. It is a UConn deep team. And when Dan Hurley says he now has competition at practice, they didn't have this two years ago. They have it now. You throw in a top 10 recruiting class, this team is loaded. They are trending up by now. By now, this UConn stock, they're going up, 
up and away. Now, I had a chance to speak with Hurley and Isaiah Whaley at the Big East Media Day about the freshman class and the overall state of recruiting at UConn in the Big East. Let's listen. When I saw them in practice, they all bring something that's really good. Like They all bring something like that's really valuable to the team, whether it's Jordan with his shooting and scoring ability or with like Sampson with his like extreme athletic ability and ability to run the floor and block shots and catch alleys or as Rasul, his, able, uh, his ability to control the offense and pass the ball, they all bring something that's really good for the team. So it's probably, the freshmen probably surprised me the most. I do tell people, you know, that, that we, we did have a top 25 recruiting class, you know, when we were in the AAC with, with no sign of us leaving. You know, James Booknight, you know, commits as a top 75 player, not thinking that there's a chance he's going to play in the Big East. So, but it's definitely been a, the Big East has been a shot in the arm. I think it's definitely helped, uh, you know, it's helped recruiting some, but I think it's generated a lot more, a lot more buzz in terms of the fan base. Buzz? Trust me, you get nine, 10,000 screaming fans at Gamble Pavilion. There's more than a buzz in that building this year. Trust me. The one freshman to watch for UConn, Jordan Hawkins, 6'5". This guy can score. Came from DeMatha Catholic in Baltimore, one of the top high school programs of all time, right up there with St. Anthony. He could become the go-to guy who replaces Book Knight. He is that good. However, Husky fans may have to wait a little bit because word out of stores is he got an ankle injury on Saturday, may miss the Huskies opener against Central Connecticut. Here's my prediction for the Huskies this year. 22 wins, nine losses, nine and two non-conference, 13 and seven in the Big East, second place behind Villanova. I'm saying Villanova will be 15 and five, 16 and four in that range. Let's go to Seton Hall. If I say Seton Hall, what's the one word that comes to mind? Depth, without a doubt. This is Kevin Willard's deepest team ever and the deepest team since the 89 team that went to the national championship game. That team could legitimately roll out 10, even 11 players who made some contribution. So the big question is how? How will Kevin Willard assemble this talent, keep everyone healthy and happy? Happy is the key. Jared Roden, it all begins with him. He is the alpha male. This is his team to see his progression from role player in a limited capacity his freshman year to where he is now. You cannot say enough about how hard he has worked to make himself into not only a legitimate first team all Big East player, but also someone who might be considered for the NBA draft. He is that good of a player. Joining him is Miles Kale. I loved it when I heard this. How can you not love? I know he can be frustrating at times. He can be brilliant at times. But to have a player with his veteran experience in there, how can you not want him on your team? Look, three, three things you can never have enough of, right? You can never have enough big men. You can never have enough shooters. You can never have enough guards. Seton Hall has a little bit of everything with all of those. With Kale in the backcourt. Let, let's go to the front court. Alexis Yetna, transfer from South Florida. Trey Jackson, we didn't even see him last year. He is ready to blossom for a big year. 
you are going to see why this kid was a top 100 recruit at Missouri. Tyree Samuel, those three players, they can all shoot threes. They can all play in the post. Then you have Ike Obiagu, the Big East leading shot blocker. He's not even going to start on this team. Okay, that's your front court. The biggest transformation for Kevin Willard and his roster was at guard. You have shooters. You have tall shooters and you have small shooters, sharp shooters like Jameer Harris, like Bryce Aiken. So combine those players in the backcourt with a dynamic point guard in Kaderi Richmond and Seton Hall has now upgraded their point guard position considerably. Shavar Reynolds did yeoman work last year on both sides of the court, offensively, defensively. You got the most out of Shavar Reynolds than anyone could have asked, but there wasn't anyone else. Jahari Long wasn't ready. Bryce Aiken was injured for most of the year. Now suddenly you have options. Do you play Kaderi Richmond? Do you play Bryce Aiken? Do you play Jameer Harris? Or do you play Jahari Long? He will play a role if he gives Kevin Willard a reason to put him out there. And from what I've seen and from what I've heard, he's trimmed down. He's more confident. His jump shot is good. And he's quicker. So Jahari Long, don't be surprised if he helps this team one way or another. Now, I spoke with Jared Roden and Kevin Willard at Big East Media Day about the Pirates' new and improved backcourt. Here's what they had to say. I feel like Kadari Richmond, the transfer from Syracuse, is one of the best playmakers I've ever seen. Uh, such a willing passer, uh, someone, a point guard that I've probably never played with in my career before. Um, I say Jameer Harris is probably one of the best shooters I've ever seen as well. Um, just an absolute sniper and someone who's uh, such a good leader and someone that knows how to fit in very well. Kadari, you know, we added a great New York City point guard who's got that he's got that feel. Uh, Bryce is healthy. You know, we were 8-2 we were and two when Bryce played more than 15 minutes. So, I mean, getting Bryce healthy is really important. And then, you know, Jameer, you know, one thing we really struggled with last year was shooting the basketball. You know, we were ninth in the league in shooting and three-point shooting. And Jameer is one of those guys that on any given night – you know, he can make six or seven threes. I mean, they can, he can light it up that way. So it was really important with this team coming back that, you know, we added some pieces that were, you know, not only helped us offensively, but also, you know, we struggled guarding the ball last year. And so get back to being able to guard the ball at a high level. Um, and the guys we added really help us. Defense is always a point of emphasis with Kevin Willard. But look, you're going to have to be patient, Pirate fans. It's going to take time for this team to gel defensively. We know Willard loves to go man-to-man. -man. We're likely going to see some breakdowns early on, and until these players can all get on the same page defensively, they're going to go through some growing pains. It always begins and ends on the defensive end with Kevin Willard's Pirates. He wants his players, he demands his players to play defense. That's going to be the key for the Pirates this year. How they defend the perimeter, how they defend the interior, and how they're able to shoot and really defend the three because they've upgraded themselves defensively and in the area of shooting. So you feel like they've upgraded with shooters, they've upgraded defensively. That should be a plus and point the Pirates in an upward trend to get them back to the NCAA tournament. And that brings us to the Johnnies. Mike Anderson loves to play up-tempo. 
Remember the old Nolan Richardson teams at Arkansas? 40 minutes of hell for St. John's? That's the style they play. And when they get it going, they are tough to beat. For St. John's, it was addition by subtraction this offseason. They added five transfers and three freshmen. That's a large quantity. All right. The transfers, 6'9", Aaron Wheeler from Purdue, 6'11", Joel Soriano from Fordham. They have a trio of guards, Montez Mathis from Rutgers, Steph Smith from Vermont, Tariq Coburn from Hofstra. All of them are going to have to contribute. All of them should play significant roles this year. Now, the question is, you have Julian Champagny. We know all about him. All right. He is the go-to guy. He is the Big East returning scoring champ. Posh Alexander, the co-Big East defensive player of the year, along with Isaiah Whaley. Who's going to emerge as that next scorer? That's the question. Some nights it might be Coburn. Others, it might be Steph Smith or Montez Mathis. Time will tell. I do know this. Champagny said that Coburn is the best shooter on this team flat out. He averaged 15 points last year at Hofstra, and he's coming in not to play, you know, not to be a role player. He's coming in here to be a starter. So if all of these players can buy into Mike Anderson's up-tempo system, Johnny's are going to be tough. You don't need me to tell you that. They're a lot like Seton Hall in that aspect. The difference is Seton Hall, in my opinion, they have more players returning on their roster with experience, and that's a slight edge. That's why I think the Pirates will finish one spot ahead of the Johnnies this year. My predictions, Seton Hall, 20 wins, 11 losses. St. John's, 20 wins, 11 losses. The difference will be in the Big East and the non-conference. I'm saying Seton Hall goes 8-3 and three in non-conference, 12-8 and eight in the Big East. St. John's goes 9-2 and two in the non-conference, 11-9 and nine in the Big East. Those are my predictions. We'll see how they go at the end of the year. And with that said, it's time to welcome in a reporter I've known for more than 20 years. He covers Seton Hall basketball for Rivals.com, and he's the pride of Hofstra University. My friend, J.P. Pelsman. J.P., you like the way I did that? Pride Hofstra? Very well done, Brian. Great to be here. I'm, I'm really, I really appreciate uh, you inviting me on. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time as well, J.P. Awesome. So, J.P., are you ready for some college hoops? Uh, I'm sure it's something we've been looking forward to all summer and all fall. And, and here we go. It, it's college hoops week. It's really great, uh, Brian. I have it uh, starting uh, on time this year. I mean, it was so tough last year with the season uh, to have to wait. Uh, I mean, obviously, we know why we had to wait. It was good to have any season last year, obviously. There was time where it looked like who, know, who knew if we would have any season, uh, who knew if we would have an NCAA tournament. But it's nice to actually have it start on time. And uh, But, yeah, it's great to have it starting uh, a week after Election Day like it usually should, yes. Absolutely. And right there with it, coinciding with that, is National Signing Day, which is taking place November 10th. So why don't we start there? And, and the big news that, you know, sent – some shock waves around around the New York, New Jersey area. Jaquan Sanders, uh, New York City Queens guard, top 150 player, according to rivals, was committed to St. John's a month ago, then decommitted. The rumor started that 
he might be leaning towards Seton Hall. And sure enough, he came out with a commitment last Friday that he is committing to Seton Hall. So how significant is this to, to both programs, JP? Oh, it's a big it's a big loss for St. for St. John's. It's a big win for Seton Hall. And I mean, he's a guy, I mean, he can be a difference maker. I wouldn't say a program changer, but definitely a difference maker. And yeah, and I mean, I think the biggest thing, Dino, is that this maybe really is the thing that really jumpstarts the rivalry. I mean, we've seen it getting there. There was a shot that uh, knocked off St. John's a couple of years ago mm-hmm. by uh, Shavar Reynolds. And I know St. John's is still probably worked up over that because it shouldn't have, uh, should never have happened. It was a referee official's mistake that allowed it to happen. And then they got the revenge at the garden. I mean, the rivalry has been slowly coming back as St. John's has gotten back on its feet under Micah Anderson. And, and but let's face it, this is really going to uh, bring it back. I mean, I can tell you, I've heard from uh, a source I have that uh, uh, who knows people at St. John's that no, uh, as you can imagine, it hasn't gone over. They won't say anything publicly, I'm sure, but yeah, it, it hasn't gone over very well there. So I'm sure uh, behind the scenes, uh, this will definitely stoke the rivalry. You know what? There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's no. Uh, Rule that says uh, two teams uh, within whatever miles uh, of each other, whatever, 20 miles of each other, have to uh, like each other when it comes to recruiting. Let's face it, they're going after the same the same young men in the same area. There are bound to be some uh, disagreements. There are bound to be some uh, heated uh, battles over players. And uh, this is how it goes sometimes. I mean, his mother told uh, Zach Braziller in the post that uh, she felt like he would be better off going a little farther from home, not too far. I mean, well, this is a little farther, not too far, right? <laughs> exactly. So we can take that at face value uh, or not. You can believe what you want to believe. That's the young man's mother. We can uh, take that and run with it or whatever. But again, this certainly, it certainly is a great get for Seton Hall. And it again, shows that this program this program isn't going anywhere. I think uh, everyone in the Big East knows that by now. No, and, and you're right. And listen, th- this has gone on before, right? You know, players leaning one way and then switching at the last minute. I mean, we can all remember uh, New Jersey when Tim Thomas was headed towards Rutgers and the night before he's going to Villanova. Um, Adama Sinogo was rumored was to be going to yeah. Hall for a yeah. long time, forever, uh, the crystal balls. And then UConn swoops in and gets him at the last minute and, Danny Hurley was certain, certainly pumping his chest over that. Posh Alexander was leaning towards Seton Hall and goes to St. Yeah. John. So this happens in recruiting. Now, listen, it's a little different because Sanders was verbally committed, but it is a verbal commitment. You're not signed. So um, until you're signed, nothing is 100% guaranteed, JP. Funny things happen in recruiting with young 17 and 18-year-olds. No question about Brian, like you said. And, and again, I mean... They definitely felt they had Sonogo, I mean, signed, sealed, and delivered, except for the sign part. And again, he got away at the last minute and 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 he was he he made a difference in that. That was such a tough loss to UConn in the uh the one game where they were allowed to have fans last year at the Rock, the the home finale. And uh man, it would have been nice for Seton Hall to have him in Pirate Blue that game instead of uh Husky Blue. So yeah, I mean it, these things happen and and again. And like I said, to me, as a writer, I mean, hey, it just adds fuel to the fire and then rivalries are good for the sport and they're good for the Big East. So 
uh, there's that's just the way it goes. And again, it, it'll just spice things up, especially when uh, next year when he goes to the garden, that, he should get an interesting reception when uh, he shows up to the garden uh, wearing Seton Hall blue and white. JP, excellent point. Fans do not forget these things as well as the program. So um, let's talk about Seton Hall's recruiting class. It is shaping up for Kevin Willard to be pretty good back-to-back years, right? He brings in Weston and Tyler Powell and uh, Ryan Conway this year. Follows that up with a pair of Jaquans, Jaquan Sanders, Jaquan Harris from St. Thomas Aquinas, who's the younger brother of Jameer Harris, and Percy Daniels. So if those three are signed, that's a pretty solid recruiting class coming in for the class of 2022 for Kevin Willard. Would you agree? Yeah, no question about Brian and Jaquan Harris. I mean, some people list him as a combo. Some people list him as a point, but everyone's high on him. Obviously his, his older brother is on the team this year. Who knows? Maybe he decides to stick around. When I spoke to him for rivals for a story I did, he said, he, he said he was definitely open to the possibility. He said, because they, they're so far apart in age, they've never really had the chance to play together. He said he was definitely, obviously he's, he's thinking about this year. He's, he's, his focus is on this year, but he says definitely something he's considered because they've never really had the chance to play together mm-hmm. because our partner, he said it would definitely be cool to play with his younger brother. And as far as Percy Daniels, I know a lot of people aren't talking about him, but let's face it. I'm not trying to put too much pressure on associate head coach Grant Billmeyer, but my goodness, we've seen the way big men come through this program and, uh, and Bill Meyer has certainly worked wonders with a lot of big men. So to me, you can't underestimate any big when he gets to gets to the hall and starts working with Grant Billmeyer. Uh, he, I mean, look what he did to Romero Gill. And I'll tell you, I mean, certainly uh, Ike Obiagu has gotten a lot better. I mean, right. no, he's Gill, but you can see the improvement from when he got to Seton Hall from Florida State to where he is now. He's definitely made strides. And certainly it's it's all on those guys. All It's probably definitely credit those guys for working hard and taking the instruction, but Grant Billmeyer is certainly one of the premier uh, big man coaches in the Big East, if not the entire country. That, that's well said. Uh, great praise for him and deservedly so. Uh, St. John's, you know, they took a hit, obviously a big hit by losing uh, Sanders, but they still have a very good player coming in, a top 100 player in A.J. Store, 6'5 shooting guard from IMG Academy. UConn, look out because Danny Hurley is putting – UConn in a position where they might not be trailing Villanova for, for long. This year, it's clear Villanova's won. UConn is right behind them. But with UConn back in the Big East, this was Kevin Willard's fear, right? We, we read the tea leaves with his quotes. He wasn't happy that UConn's back here. That's because he keeps putting together top recruiting classes. Uh, next year, he's bringing in a 7-1 center from Bristol Central, Connecticut, the top player in the state of Connecticut, JP, who Danny Hurley told me on Big East Media Day that he will be an NBA player. Kid's a flat-out stud. And another top 65 recruit in Alex Carabin from IMG Academy. It is no surprise with UConn back in the Big East that Danny Hurley, who's been a great recruiter his whole life, is putting together and stringing together incredible recruiting classes. No, it isn't, Brian. And I mean... I just think the Big East is such a, uh, a marketable, more marketable name than the AAC, than the American. And, and the garden is the garden. I mean, it just, it's just a, 
better thing to market for them. And, and like you said, you put Danny Hurley together with the garden and the big East and you put that all together. It's just, he's just got a more saleable product now than he did when they were in the American and just better rivalries to sell. And yeah. I mean, you look at what he's got this year. Yeah. Okay. They, they lost book night, but I mean, who do you game plan for? There's so, they have so many guys this year that can, they can go to in, in crunch time. I mean, to me, they, they're, they're clearly the, the second best team in the league, I think. And, and again, it could be sooner rather than later that, that UConn is, is neck and neck with Nova because uh, Dan Hurley has a, has a, has a going, has it going on over there? No question. Yeah. And the way they play defense, you know, Tyler Polly returning and RJ Cole is good too. And Sonogo, you know, is a budding star. Um, they're going to be a handful and they play tremendous defense, but those are just some of the names JP. So as we look ahead to this season now, with it tipping off this week, college basketball will tip off on, on Tuesday, uh, November 9th. We hopefully will see St. John's Seton hall Rutgers and UConn in the NCAA tournament, all four of those teams for the first time since 1991. That is realistic. And, and how great would that be for this tri-state area to see all these teams good at one time in the NCAA tournament? It, it would be. It would be, Brian, because, it's, it, like you said, it's been so long. It, it's been so long. And it's unfortunate because, again, I remember when I grew up, it was just such basketball was so big in this area. And that would be nice to see. Again, it has to happen. We, we have to the, – the teams have to deliver. But I think the interesting thing about St. John's is it's really now in year three, Mike Anderson, I really think, has the team he wants. I mean, let's face it. I mean, and I don't think he ran off anyone. Uh, I mean, it's but it's interesting. I think a lot of guys just didn't want to play his style. I mean, it's not an easy style. It's not for everyone. And – I can't remember seeing so many people leave that were getting playing time. But you know what? As someone said to me, you look at the guys that left, Brian, and hardly any of them really. I don't even know if any of them transferred up. Most of them went down. And that does say something. So, I mean, they all wound up going to lesser schools for the most. I mean, from from, not from an academic standpoint, I'm saying that's no best St. John's. But, to you know, they went down. They went to mid-majors or what have you. They didn't go. They didn't. transfer up to uh, the Big Ten or, you know, to a Big Ten or transfer another power conference or, or to a top 25 school that's already in the top 25. They transferred to mid-majors and such. And the guys he brought in, I mean, a lot of them, like, like for instance, one of the most interesting ones is you mentioned Rutgers. I mean, they got Montez Mathis from Rutgers. He could be a much better fit for there because he's more of a slasher type get-to-the-basket guy. Whereas Rutgers is, let's face it, they're a half-court team. That's what Steve Pike likes to do. So he'll fit more in that system, which obviously is up-tempo. Listen, St. John's, uh, it begins and ends with Champagny, with Julian Champagny and Posh Alexander, who might be the best, you know, one-two combination in the Big East. Uh, You have five transfers, three freshmen, a lot of new faces, Joel Soriano from Fordham is another name, along with Montez Mathis, Steph Smith from Vermont. If they all, there's a lot of ifs here, just like there is for Seton Hall, right? With with their new faces and Alexis Yetna and Jameer Harris and uh, how Trey Jackson fits in. So 
so many moving parts in this day and age in college basketball, but yet, uh, you know, there's still high expectations at Seton Hall and St. John's. So I guess how they fit in uh, in a short period of time, especially in the early part, will determine their success this year, JP. Do you think it'll happen for both teams? That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard to say. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing with Seton Hall was when, when I talked to, uh, as I mentioned, when I spoke to Jimmy Harris for an interview, he felt like, uh, and I know Jim, uh, Jared Roden, I know he set out the exhibition, that exhibition game that you mm-hmm. saw of uh, an ankle injury, but they both kind of felt that the fact that uh, obviously there was a problem with the flooding, they couldn't use Kevin Willard's uh, practice dungeon for much of uh, <laughs> for much of the preseason, which he loves because it's so secluded down there and he can really hone in on things without being bothered. And they had to kind of go to different places uh, to practice. And they both felt like that really brought them together, uh, just having to do that and having to just face different situations. I mean, I, I can't call it adversity when people were kind of you know, forced out of their houses or whatever, but just, just having their routine disrupted, let's put it that way. But they felt like it brought them closer together, having to go through that. So who knows? Maybe that helps them. But like you said, that's going to be the key is can they get all these people on the same page? And that's where I think the veterans like the Rodens and the Miles Kales will really uh, have to come to the forefront and just kind of put everybody on the same page. Because as you said, I mean, they are really with, with the Pirates getting a lot of different guys, having to get a lot of different guys on the same page quickly. And they won't have a lot of time. I mean, let's face it, that Michigan game comes up very quickly. And then not long after that, you have the trip to Florida where uh, they'll play Ohio State. And then if they get past that, most likely Florida, I mean, uh, which will be, would be tough and f- to play them not far from their home base. So uh, there's the, it's a very ambitious schedule in November and December. So they don't have a lot of time to ease into things. Anymore. No, definitely not. Um, and I know you can't judge a Division Three Misericordia team you know, as to, as to how this team is going to be. But my first impressions of seeing Alexis Yetna and Trey Jackson in games, um, Trey Jackson didn't have any time to learn the offense last year and to learn the defensive schemes that Willard wanted him to once he was declared eligible uh, in December. So now being in there for a full year at six foot 10, I mean, wow, you can see why this kid was a top 100 player. You can see the athleticism and his ability to hit threes. Alexis Yetna, very similar, you know, coming from South Florida. I know he's drawn comparisons to Angel Delgado. And okay, Kevin Willard, I, I see where you're coming from with that. But I think it's a more fair comparison to, you know, say he's more like an Arturis Carnishivis, you know, a player who can step back and, and hit threes and rebound. Um, he doesn't shoot as well as Artie, but he can certainly rebound. So my point is, is those are two players who are lefties, who are big, can stretch the floor, and in my opinion, will contribute right away for Seton Hall. What do you see from them this year? Yeah, I think you make great points there, Brian. I mean, the thing with Trey Jackson, I think people have to understand is, I know people were clamoring to see him, but Nobody had any idea. I mean, maybe there was an inkling, but I mean, Willard was not lying last year. They they didn't, he was not, to borrow an old 
uh, from an old Gary Waters quote, he was not part of the equation. They, they never expected Trey Jackson to be part of the mix. So he wasn't a guy that in preseason that they were trying to ramp up. So when that all of a sudden got thrown on them, oh, by the way, he's eligible right away. They weren't, he, he didn't have enough time in practice. I mean, practice time, like getting him ready. Yeah, he practiced, of course, but it wasn't with a purpose toward getting him ramped up to play. He was a body in practice, figuring they'd redshirt him. So it wasn't like, oh, we're getting him ready to play. And as you said with Yetna, I think Artie Karnishevis is a better comparison. Uh, Maybe a Herb Pope, you know, somebody who is a big man who can stretch the floor. Yeah, who can step out a little bit. Maybe not to three-point range always, but but definitely can hit that mid-range jumper. But like you said, I I don't see him as a back to the – I mean, he can play with his back to the basket occasionally. But, yeah, I don't see him as a Delgado type as much, but I, I do see him as somebody who can really be the key to this team because that's something that they've lacked is, is a guy that can uh, give them a little bit different looks because I think last year people really figured out what everyone on that offense would do. Yeah. Wild cards in that offense. And that's not, that's no knock on the people that were there, but they had their tendencies and if you were a smart opposing defensive coach, like you look at the look at the way that Dan Hurley played them the first time uh, at UConn, as opposed to the way he played them at the Rock, and you'll see what I mean. If you were a smart defensive coach, the second time around you saw them, you made the adjustments, and it was tough for those guys on offense to maybe make the adjustments back because they kind of were limited in what they did. I'm not saying they weren't talented, but they kind of did their thing. Like that they had their, their quirks and their tendencies. And that's what they did. I think a guy like uh, an Alexis Yetna, he could do different things and that will prevent present problems for opposing defenses. I think Trey Jackson is, is, is the same type of same player who can, who, you know, at six foot 10 boy, he could put the ball to the floor, um, very athletic, very versatile. Now you throw in Kaderi Richmond, right? Um, who is very athletic at six foot five. Um, now you have players who can break defenders down off the dribble. It's not a um, predictable offense. Uh, Bryce Aiken's healthy, right? And that's a big if. Boy, you have guards who can create for other players. They can create their own shots. Um it's going to be interesting, JP, to see how it all falls into place, how guys can get their minutes. It's the deepest Seton Hall team that I can remember ever. And how are you going to find, um, you know, places for them in the backcourt and the front court? Uh, I guess it's a good problem for Kevin Willard to have, right? Yeah, and I don't exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's he's not always handled it. Sometimes he's had trouble handling it because he, usually he's he's better making do with less and and, mm. and kind of uh, making chicken you know what into chicken salad. But <laughs> but but again, that, that he'll just have to handle that and and you know knock wood. You hope that at for once because he deserves some good injury, some good non-injury luck, Bryce sake, and that he can stay healthy. But and I know some people poo-poo this, but I think there really is an advantage. Uh, 
to having a 6'5 point guard who can see over the defense at times. People kind of don't think of that, but there is an advantage to that, that he can sometimes maybe see something that uh, a smaller guard wouldn't see. And I think he will be somebody, again, he, he can be a little mercurial, shall we say, but I think if uh, if he's on his game, he can be a difference maker. Let's face it, he was a guy that uh, a lot of people certainly wanted him once he left Syracuse, and that was a good, uh, certainly a big-time get for Seton Hall. I mean, I think all three guys were big-time gets. I mean, that's one thing I, I wrote about, Brian, is that Kevin Willard, I think it, one thing he's positioned well in this new era of Seton Hall, in this, excuse me, this new era of college basketball with the transfer market, the free agency is his, his demeanor plays well with older players because he's a no-nonsense guy that he's not going to tell you, especially an older player, he's going to tell you exactly what's what. And that's what they want to hear at that point. They don't want to hear nonsense. They want to know where they stand and he'll, he'll tell it to you. And they, and they respond to that. Interesting. So when it all falls into place this year for all our teams, uh, what prediction do you make for let's start with Seton Hall this year? I, I, I could see them finishing uh, around third in the big East. I mean, to me, they could be, make the semifinals of the Big East tournament. I, I see them as, if all goes well, I see them as a tournament team, an NCAA team, no doubt about it. I mean, again, they have to get, they have to get better production from point guard this year. Again, like I said, I'm not, like, I know I keep saying it, but like you said, the, the biggest problem with Shavar Reynolds was he was forced to play too many minutes when Aiko was hurt. But with Richmond this year, that shouldn't be a problem. They should be able to have a creative point guard who can set the table for others. So if he's running the show and he's as good as advertised, uh, I, I see this as a uh, 12, 13 win big East team at least. So that would put them in the range of, of 20, 21 wins overall. Um, you think, yeah. You know, and, and, and put them in a position to make the NCAA tournament uh, and make up for last year where, where they fell a little bit short. So the St. John's, put themselves in the same position, maybe in that third, fourth, uh, fifth range in the Big East and put them in, themselves in position to make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, I'm, it's funny. I, I'm not as bullish on them as some other people are. But as you said, I mean, with, with Alexander and Champagny, I mean, they are going to have a lot of times the two best players on the court at a given moment, and that can't be underestimated. But again, I want to see, and I'm not, I'm not doubting Mike Anderson, his – He's proven his coaching bona fides over the years at, at multiple schools. And he's gotten, this would be the fourth different college he's taken to the tournament if he does it. So I'm not, again, I'm not knocking him, obviously. No, that's a gonzo term. I sound like Bobby, but <laughs> he would proceed Don't to knock someone. Don't go there, someone. JP. Don't go I there. <laughs> I know. He would proceed to knock someone, but uh, I'm sorry. But, uh, but it is, he really has a lot of new guys to, but again, if anyone can do it, he can, because you saw how quickly, I mean, last year, it, it looked like they were, they were really struggling and they really came on in, in February. And, and uh, if anyone could do it, he can, because he's used to just bringing guys together and bringing them along quickly. And again, when he, if he gets that style going, 
you don't want to play that team. Yeah. If, if, if Even you can the play great ball holders today, they're a pain to play. Excellent. If you play at their pace and they make you play at their pace of, you know, that old 40 minutes of hell, Nolan Richardson style of basketball. Yeah. Um, you can't get caught up in that because if you do, you're done. You're absolutely done. They, they get that rolling and there's no stopping it. Uh, can anyone overtake Villanova at number one or are they just too good this year? And too much. so could it be UConn? I just don't see it just because, I mean, just they have so much talent, so much experience. I, I just don't see it. Again, could UConn do it at some point in the future? Yes, but I don't see it this year. Just having all those guys back, uh, um, it just too many Gillespie, Samuels, all those guys. It just They just have too much talent and just the Villanova way that Jay has, it just works. And I mean, the fact that they got to the regional semis and then uh, Baylor knocks them off as the eventual champion just shows you. I mean, even w- without uh, Gillespie, they got that far. I mean, they could have been knocked out in the first round, but they... they uh, we left them dead. We left them for dead and we should have yeah. known better. Yeah. So, no, I, I just, they just got too many, too much experience and they just... They just do what they do so well. It doesn't, they're like the silent assassin. It doesn't look, it doesn't look spectacular, but by the end of the game, you've lost by 20. Because they don't make mistakes. They make, no. you make the mistakes, JP. Yeah. That team is so fundamentally sound. And, and if they ever make mistakes, it's like, whoa, did, did that just happen? Right. They rem- yeah. They remind me of, uh, you know, of Carolina when, when, when in a way, like when, when Chris Weber called the timeout, <laughs> it was easy. And again, don't get me wrong. There were a lot of things that Dean Smith, uh, I mean, rest his soul, didn't do great. Like the old thing, who's the only man who could hold Michael Jordan if fewer than 20 points. Right. Smith. But, but the thing I remember, I remember when I was watching that game and I said, well, you know what? Do you think a Dean Smith player would ever call a timeout he didn't have? Nope. Right. Think about it. Right player. Would he ever do that? No. They don't, they don't beat themselves. They never do. Uh, and, and that counts for something right there. It last does. question, last question, JP. Uh, and thank you so much for, for taking time thank to you. come on the podcast. Give me one team that we haven't talked about in the big East that may overachieve this year and, and surprise and maybe crack that top five. I'll tell you, I mean, this, this is crazy, but. I would watch out for once once the season gets rolling. I know they're so young, but they're they're the 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 class is so good. It would not shock me if by the by February we're talking about Creighton making a run. Hmm. No, that sounds crazy, but McDermott is such a good coach and I just that they had that freshman class is so good. I mean, I just think people are picking them a little bit low. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I do like I know I know uh, Kevin's good friend, Ed Cooley. I mean, yeah, I'm surprised that they weren't better last year. And uh, they do have Nate Watson back. So, I, I mean, I could see them sneaking up. But I don't know. Something just tells me that. Everyone's counting Crate now because they're so young. But, I mean, I could just see them. 
I mean, I, I know they won't be very good early, but I could see them catching fire late if those, because we just, we've seen again, we've seen yeah. where fre- if freshmen grow up quickly, you never know in this sport. You never know. Georgetown, you know, what Georgetown did last year with an unheralded yeah. guard, you know? So um, you're right. All right. Great stuff, JP. I, I, I thought you might say Georgetown. I thought you might say, you know, of course, Butler's going to be there, but Providence, Creighton. We will put that one down and we'll see where, Creighton finishes come February and March. JP, it's been awesome talking college hoops with you uh, on the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast, and I look forward to talking with you throughout the season. Thank you, Brian. It was great to be here. All right. That is JP Pelsman from Rivals.com. You can check out all of his articles there, and he also does a fine job writing for Forbes.com covering the New York Jets as well. JP, thank you. My name is Brian DeNovellis. That is the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast as we begin and get ready to tip off the 2021-22 college basketball season. We will be here with you all year long, and we will have more guests and more updates and more commentary throughout the season. Thanks for listening to the Tri-State College Basketball Report, everybody. So long. So long.